Welcome to the weekly podcast, recorded live at Glory City Church, Brisbane. We hope you are blessed by this week's sermon. I'm going to give some really key verses and, and unpack a bit of a foundation tonight that I pray will be a blessing. Hey, Danica. Hey, right back to you. Hey, Cliff. Great to see you. Pastor Tom and Dom. Hey, Laura. Nice to see you there. Awesome. Well, before we jump in, who remembers our verse of the week? Hopefully everybody, but we release uh, a verse every week because we're believing for a Bible revival. Uh, we really just want to see a, a hunger and, and a knowledge of the Scriptures increasing uh, in our community and, and across our movement. Um, and so this week's verse is Romans 12, verse 10. If you know it off by heart, because it is a memory verse, which means that we seek to memorize them, um, you can say it along with me. Romans 12 verse 10 says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. It's the profound anchoring verse of love and the love that we can have as family. Uh, so do be... Memorizing those, if you were with us last week, you would have seen uh, young Mia Damianopoulos uh, reciting a whole passage, because uh, Pastor Benji, our, our children's pastor, gave all the kids a challenge if they could memorize this passage, and she nailed it. We had a bunch of parents writing in, quite convicted, uh, when they watched Mia uh, unpack that so well. Well, look, I want to ask a question tonight, and I do want to see if you can send some comments through on the live stream so I can uh, get a gauge here. I'm going to share a couple of testimonies in a moment. While I'm sharing those, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you if you can tell me what the five major covenants of Scripture are. Because that's what we're going to be talking about, is the five covenants of Scripture. Now, academy students, you probably know all five fairly quickly or off by heart. So if you do, if you're an academy student, before you go post them there, don't post them all at once. If you know them all off by heart, don't give other people a chance. Maybe just put one there. Okay, so out of the five covenants, pick one and put it up there. I want to see if we can get all five in the comments before I, I begin to unpack that. But I did feel to share a couple of testimonies tonight. You know, we, um, we're a house who believes in the miraculous Pastor Catherine has such a mandate on her life to normalize the supernatural and not normalize it in the sense of being familiar with it. We're always thrilled, always excited, always childlike and celebrate every miracle we see, but that it becomes commonplace that we see the power of God change people's lives, heal their bodies, set them free, deliver them. And so we want to always be building faith for that. And I was, I was reflecting on some of the the miracles uh, Christine and I have seen over the last couple of years. And I came up with a couple of photos that I had that I'd love to show you guys, um, just to inspire us, just to help build some faith for what we're going to go after tonight, which is some miracles over live stream. This guy here, he is a, a football player. Um, we met him and a big group of his friends at, at a marketplace in Darwin. And um, actually, that's called the Mindel Market. Some of you will know about them. I'm seeing these covenants come through. Don't you worry. Um, and yeah, he had a torn ligament. And he, it was fairly fresh. And he had weeks and weeks of recovery ahead from him. So he couldn't put any weight on this, 
this leg at that time. Um, so a couple of friends and I, we just approached their group of friends and just said, hey, look, we'd love to um, uh, just share with you guys about Jesus. And we've noticed that your friend's got a, a, a sore leg there. If you're comfortable, we'd love to pray for you. love to, um, s- to believe that we could actually demonstrate a miracle that you could see how good God is. And they joked a bit and laughed and sort of, um, you know, not everyone knows how to react to things like that. But long story short, we, um, they let us pray for him. And within one prayer of this guy's knee, he, his whole face changed and his friends went quiet and he began to stretch his knee back and forth, put all the pressure on it, like smile with big wide eyes and then start running up and down in this marketplace in front of a crowd of people, completely healed. It was incredible. We were able to preach the gospel to this group of guys and, and see some real fruit there. Um, and then for, that was the start of the night. So the, for the rest of the night, we'd pass their group by and he'd just be carrying his crutches, walking on both legs, um, still talking about it. So that was just incredible and so faith-building for us. Uh, this next one was um, this, these two people, uh, my friend Mitch, who's in the photo there, and I, we were in Arnhem Land. Um, this lady on the left here in the purple jacket, uh, she had actually been beaten. She'd been physically abused over a period of months. Um, and she used to get beaten on her back uh, by an, an ex-partner of hers. Um, so when we met her, she was hobbled right over. She actually had uh, fractures in her spine that hadn't healed. She was in a heap of pain. So she was there. She was there at, at one of the meetings we held. And then this gentleman to the, the right here, he actually had um, he'd been drinking a bit and he had fallen into a live fire when he was stumbling around. And he had third degree burns, so big brown or even black um, dead skin all over his back. And he was in heaps of pain with these burns. So he lifted up his shirt really painfully and showed us right down his back was this black skin. We were able to pray for him in front of this woman. And we, he, he felt this heat fill his back and not from the burn. He lifted up his shirt and, and no, no exaggeration, we saw instead of all this brown, black skin, we saw pink, brand new skin on his back and all, all the pain had left his back. It was incredible. He gave his life to Jesus right there, right there. And we were able to spend the, the next few days with him and just beginning to teach him about Jesus. And then this lady, she, she saw this and let us pray for her and her back straightened up and all her pain left. Incredible, right? And then she gave her life to Jesus too. So it was just an amazing night in Arnhem Land. Uh, Another one here, I want to show you this photo. This is a beautiful girl named Katie who we met in South Australia. Um, Katie, as you can see, had a a very lazy eye and um, she was was born with that. This this particular eye meant that she couldn't see out of both eyes at the same time. She would have to cover one eye to look clearly out of the other or cover the good eye to, to actually be able to visualize what was in the lazy eye. What that meant is she didn't actually have depth perception. So she didn't see in 3D like we would and like we take for granted. One night she came to an open night at a a school we were running in South Australia. We got to pray for her eye. And what happened was 
the vision in that eye immediately kicked in while she was looking out of the other eye. So she suddenly had depth perception given to her. She burst into tears. She was so overwhelmed. That was amazing, right? But nothing happened to the eye. It was still pointing inwards. She went home. She hopped in bed. She was ecstatic because she could see out of both eyes. But then the next morning, she woke up, and here's the after photo. Her eye was dead straight the next morning. So they, she actually used to wear these really thick glasses, right? And she now keeps them on the mantel place in her room. And she's actually a part of Glory City Church, Wandera, where we've got an amazing family down there. Isn't that epic? Isn't God good? And so she's been healed ever since. Her, her vision's great. Her eyes are great. And we're just, I marvel, I marvel that God did that. Praise God. This is um, the testimony from her mom that you can see here. Dear little Katie experienced a miracle on the second night of the school. First, a bit of history. Since she was an infant, she had strabismus, often called lazy eye. She began wearing glasses when she was just 18 months old. On Tuesday night, when we went to the Jesus School open night, she began crying when she realized she could see out of her right eye without the left being covered. She now has the ability to see out of both at the same time. Check out the photos which show the difference and the joy on her face. Praise God. I just love that so much. I just want to show you one more. This is a, a, a young guy named Jared um, who was in a different, um, a different night, different time. You can see uh, in the photo on the left there that his right thumb is a lot shorter than his left thumb, even though you can see his hands are even. So he had had an issue about five years earlier where he damaged what's called a growth plate in his right hand and his thumb hadn't, um, had actually began to shrink back because of that injury. So you can see the difference in length there. One of our guys at the school just, just went after this and just believed for a miracle there. And you can see on the right, his thumb straightened out right in front of their eyes as, as long as the other one. And that changed Jared's life, that miracle. Isn't it amazing just the, what, what the goodness of God can do to people? You know, our, our human bodies are, are temporal things. There's a time, you know, the Bible speaks about being given uh, immortal bodies, been having, having immortal bodies uh, in the next life, in, in the heavenly realm. Currently, our bodies are temporal, and this, we can experience things like sickness and, and whatnot. To me, when a body gets healed, it's such a representation of God's goodness because, you know, he, he didn't just renew our spirit in Christ. He, he doesn't just restore our soul, uh, set us free from the things of the soul that, that kept us bound, but he even would so graciously heal our disease, heal our bodies, renew, give life to our mortal bodies. And I just think that's incredible. In reflection, I... Um, started to consider, when have I seen some of the biggest miracles that I've seen in my personal life? You know, usually it's when I have the clearest heart picture of just how good God is. And so I want to talk about the covenants tonight, because I believe when we can understand the covenants and, and how they reveal God, particularly the new covenant, it builds our confidence in the goodness of God, which we really need as an anchor 
in moments where we're, we're seeing things with our eyes that we feel He wants to change, but we're not 100% sure sometimes. And we need to be convicted in how good and how willing He is to do that. I know Pastor Catherine, she's, she's so passionate about going after this. And we just don't want to change the subject on the power of God to heal and just how good He is. So we're going to talk about the covenants. I can see a few comments here. Cat Ward, dang it. <laughs> Kat, I don't think dang it was a covenant. Uh, nice attempt there. David Beard, the Abrahamic covenant. Very good. Josh Kellett, Noahic covenant. It might sound a bit like Noah because that's what it means, the Noahic or Noahic covenant that was made with Noah. Messianic covenant. Julie Marshall, you're on the right track. Um, I would call the Messianic covenant the new covenant. Um, but yes, that's on the right track. Danica Judge, the Davidic covenant. Well done. Abrahamic, Noahic. I think we're missing one here. Oh, we're missing like a giant one, a huge one. Adamic, Cliff, some people do add a sixth covenant, the Adamic covenant. I, I know that um, the Lord made skins for Adam and Eve to wear, and, and some, sometimes we, we can bring a covenant idea into that. Um, I'm not using that one tonight, the Adamic idea of a covenant. Uh, I'd say the Noahic covenant is the first very explicit covenant, covenant promise made to them. Um, but again, some, some also would add the Adamic one to that. Here we go, Cheryl Taylor nailed it, the Mosaic covenant. Well done. Tonight we're going to talk about these five covenants. I'm going to cover the first four pretty briefly, but then I want to jump into the new covenant and actually explain how the new covenant impacts the previous covenants and how they're interlinked. And it is absolutely incredible. It builds our sense of just how good God is, but it also gives us a picture to understand why seemingly there, there seems to be a change in... Um, God's ways on the earth, right? It's because there is. From the Old Testament to the New, you see God relating to us in different ways. But then we all know that God never changes, right? That He's an unchanging God. See, the key is that God never changes, but covenants do. And when certain covenants were in play, they actually meant there was a relational dynamic that had to be honored by both parties, including God. And that's the nature of covenant. So yes, God does never change, but covenants do. And I want to point out some of these differences tonight so we can really fix our hearts on a new covenant confidence in the goodness of God. Praise the Lord. I see awesome comments coming through on that. Well, we're going to start to look at these and what these are. You've already covered them in comments. So I just want to give you a visual so you can take a photo of it if you like. The first is the Noahic covenant starts around 2500 BC. The second is the Abrahamic covenant around 2090 BC. Then we have the Mosaic covenant. Now take note, the Mosaic covenant is also known as the old covenant, right? So whenever you're reading your New Testament and see the term old covenant, that's always a reference to the Mosaic covenant, right? Given at Mount Sinai. 
Praise the Lord. Then there's the Davidic covenant. This is an incredible, fascinating covenant. And it's one that people often miss as actually a covenant that God made with David. I'm going to give you a key verse for each one of these covenants. And my encouragement tonight is that you would look up, uh, write those down and just have a look at them for yourself because it's really fascinating. And the implications are huge for us. So the Davidic covenant. Finally, the new covenant which comes when Jesus comes and and enacted by the cross and the resurrection. So you can take a photo of that if you like. Have a look at that. Do you know, um, some people say that uh, one of the ways you can read your Bible is actually as though the Bible, I've got mine here, the Bible is essentially a collection of covenants. It's a collection of, of covenants that God made with man and how they impacted the relationship between God and man throughout history. It's actually one lens that you can read your Bible through. Is this, this is a story of the covenant journey that God went through with man to bring them to his ultimate desire, which is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. And so it's a fascinating way to begin to anchor and, and, and rightly divide the word of truth. Awesome. Well, let's dig in. The Noahic Covenant, many of us know this, and many of you, I'm sure you could throw a comment in before I even get there about what was the sign of the Noahic Covenant. See if you can get there before I do. What was the sign of the Noahic Covenant? And remember, the the Noahic Covenant was actually a promise made by God that he would never again destroy the earth through flood. It was a promise, and you might remember that God actually didn't ask Noah or or man to do anything in order for God to honor that promise or that covenant. He just said, this is what I'm doing. I'll never do it again. It's a promise. It's not a promise we can break as his people. It's a promise he made, just whether we do well or we don't do well. It's something God established as a, what's called a grant covenant. It requires nothing from us. It's something he's given to us. And I see, yep, Christine Jeeves, Rainbow, Kirsty, Rainbow, praise the Lord. Emily Ronala, you need to make a comment. <laughs> hey, Emily. Gee, you need to make a comment, Emily. I agree. Emily is a whiz. Apparently, Emily's beat Pastor Catherine in a few Bible trivia nights recently, which Pastor Catherine's very honest about. Um, So yeah, dive in there, Emily. Yeah, so it was a rainbow. You can see there the key verse in that slide is Genesis 9, verse 8 to 17. The next is the Abrahamic covenant. Have a look at this. Genesis 17, 1 to 7. When Abraham, well, Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Notice it doesn't say you shall be the father of Israel. It says you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. That's a huge key. This isn't limited to the nation of Israel. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. 
For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations or many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Amazingly, King David, the entire, the, the realm of the kings came from Abraham's line all the way through to Jesus, which is incredible. And kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Listen to this. For an everlasting covenant. This is God saying this covenant, the covenant I make with Abraham is not a temporary covenant. This promise that through this man I will make many nations blessed is an everlasting covenant. That's a huge thing. Make a note. Write that down. Everlasting the Abrahamic covenant. And I will be your God and that of your offspring after you. That's huge. We're gonna come back to the Abrahamic covenant. But just while you think of that, just keep in mind that um, there's an incredible Sunday school song that goes something like, Father Abraham had many sons. I wish Megs was here to sing this. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's still praise the Lord, right? Um, Father Abraham. Notice it's not Father Moses. It's not Father Noah. It's not Father David. That's a huge key that the covenant we now live in is actually an answer to the promise made to Abraham before Moses ever lived. That's huge. What that tells you is that God wasn't thinking on the go. He actually had this plan since long before Moses, since long before the Mosaic Covenant. He already had Christ in mind. You know, Jesus Christ isn't plan C. It wasn't plan A, a few naked vegetarians in the garden, and hopefully they don't eat from that tree. But then they do, so plan B is that we have to walk them through this, this season of covenants and we'll give them a law and hopefully that'll be plan B and that'll work. Oh, they can't keep the law. Okay, Jesus, you're gonna have to go. That's not how he thought. Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which means in one sense, in the heart of God, the solution existed before the problem was ever made by man. So Jesus is plan A all along. In him, all things consist. He's the ultimate king. And just because he became a man, we must not forget that he is God Almighty, that the creation itself was built inside the person of Jesus. We exist in him. Oh my gosh, his humanity and his divinity, such, a, such an incredible collision. And then we come to the Mosaic Covenant. Exodus 19 verse 5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be to me my treasured possession among all peoples. Now remember, this was for Israel. This wasn't for all the nations. This was on the mount, mountain of Sinai. And then in Exodus 34.10, he says, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as never have been created in all the earth or in any nation and in all people among you who will see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. And we know that the Mosaic covenant was where we received the Mosaic law. It's where we received the 10 commandments on tablets of stone. We also received the well over 600 laws of the, of the Mosaic covenant. This was an agreement that God went into. You, you should note that it doesn't say that this is an everlasting covenant. 
God was very explicit to Abraham to say, this is an everlasting covenant. But the Mosaic covenant is not said to be everlasting because, you know, we get to the New Testament, we get to places like Galatians, and we find that the law wasn't God's idea to get us all to live holy. It was God's uh, device to actually lead us to a revelation of our sin so we could develop a realization of our need for him as a savior, a realization that we actually can't do this thing called righteousness unless he does it in us, through us, and for us, which he had a plan to do. So the law drives that in again and again and again. You can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And what it meant was God actually had in the Mosaic covenant these things called blessings and curses. You'll see in Deuteronomy 28, Verse one, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his, his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now this isn't a grant covenant, is it? Because this requires Israel to do something. If they do right, if they fulfill these laws, they will be blessed, right? This is the way God entered in to this form of relationship with Israel because of this covenant. He also spoke out that there were curses if they didn't obey these. Deuteronomy 28 verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And after both those verses, he begins to list all the blessings and then all the curses. Now, because God entered into this particular covenant, it actually tied his hands, because he's an honorable, just, faithful, uh, integrous God, as we all know and believe, to enter into this covenant, it, it defined the relationship between God and Israel of one where God was obligated to now hold them to this standard of the law. And that involved punishment, when they didn't do it, it involved judgment. You know, for those that, that might say that God um, never judged people, that's not true. We can read that right through the Old Testament. Um, God was functioning with people uh, before the person of Christ had come and been able to extend the mercy and forgiveness of God to humanity. And beyond that, in this Mosaic covenant, God, God was bound to honor that covenant. And so when they failed, it was actually just for God to do that. The relationship is defined by the covenant created. So that's actually a part of the painful process God's had to go on to restore man. And the law was required. And, you know, there are those that say the law doesn't apply anymore. I, I would say, I would, I would challenge, I would, I would bring some clarity to that, that uh, Paul, even in the New Testament, Paul was the ultimate, you know, um, Holy Spirit sniffer dog for any legalism, right? But he said that the law is holy and righteous and good, but only if it's used lawfully because it's laid down for the unjust and the unrighteous. However, I do want to say this. I mean, Jesus said in Matthew 5 that until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot nor tittle of this law, the Mosaic law, will pass away. Right? However, I do want to say this. The relationship that God was required to have because of the Mosaic law, that no longer exists. 
The law is there, but the Father, Father God, has now been untangled from the commitment of that covenant to bring judgment and to bring punishment when it was broken. The law remains, but the relationship's now changed. The Lord no longer functions under the Mosaic covenant, which we're going to see. Sometimes we can fall into this idea that Jesus is the new covenant part of the Godhead, but the Father is the one that's still back under the Mosaic covenant. What's true and gloriously true is that Jesus revealed the entire Godhead and was the transition for the entire Godhead to come in and engage this ultimate, eternally desired covenant relationship with man. Finally, we get to the Davidic covenant, and this was actually a promise that God would forever put one of David's descendants on his throne. Now, that's a huge promise to make. That means God literally promised this man named King David over a thousand years before Jesus even walked the earth, and now over 2,000 years since, almost, he promised for all time, forevermore, I will put one of your descendants, someone from your lineage, upon your throne. That's huge. Has he done that? Has God fulfilled that promise? Or we're going to see. You can make a note that 2 Samuel 7, verse 13 and 16 says that. And Psalm 89, verse 3 and 4 says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant that I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Take note, Jesus, God, is prophesying to David about David's throne. There's a huge key in that. And then we arrive at the new covenant. And to one of my absolute favorite passages in the Bible, it's both an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. It's um, birth from Jeremiah, as the Holy Spirit led him to declare this over the nation of Israel. And it's reinforced as the very description of the new covenant which Jesus came to bring. It says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. That means access granted from the least to the greatest into the heart of God, into the presence of God. From the least of them to the greatest. Verse 12, here's the reason why we will all know him. Because I will be merciful toward their iniquities. There's that declaration. The new covenant equals mercy. Ultimately, we live in a covenant called mercy. Remember the, the mercy seat in the temple? That's where Jesus' blood was spilled. That's where they used to put the blood of, of bulls and goats. But now they put the blood of the eternal Son of God. So forever the blood of Jesus is crying mercy. It's crying mercy over his people. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Guess what that means? God doesn't remember your sins anymore. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed them from you. 
He has a memory solution, as Pastor Catherine called it. Not a memory problem, a memory, memory solution. And so often if, um, you know, it doesn't mean the Lord won't um, challenge areas of our lives, particularly if we're living in unrepentant sin. It means he'll never hold us to something that we've let go of. He'll never revisit. He'll never bring up. He'll never hold it against us. We will never be judged for it once we've brought that to him. Isn't that awesome news? Pastor Catherine, hooray. I agree, Pastor Catherine. Amen. Awesome. Wow. Okay, I want to show you. I want to just, I hope this blows your mind, what I'm about to show you, because it blows my mind. All right. This is a good one to take a photo of or to write down. The New Testament is all about the fulfillment of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenants. It's about the closing of the Mosaic covenant and the establishing of the new covenant. See, Christ just doesn't come to bring another covenant that has no impact on the other covenants. He comes as the greater, as the, the transcendent, as the superseding person to bring out the fullness of God's heart. Finally, do you know there's no more covenant to come? This is the greater covenant. Our Hebrews calls it the better covenant. There is no better covenant. In fact, when Paul in 2 Corinthians speaks about the comparison of the new covenant to the old covenant, he says the old covenant compared to the new covenant, is, it's as though it has no glory. It has nothing. It's even the ministry of death carved in letters, carved in stone with letters. Compared to the new covenant, it has no glory. This is how much it supersedes the Mosaic covenant, right? The law is still an existing law. And, and despite what you might think about it, the law reveals something about God. The whole way through the Old Testament, God was being revealed through what he did. The law reveals not that God wants to hold us to the Mosaic law for all time, but it does reveal that he's a God of order. He's a God who values holiness. He's a God of morality. He's a God who loves to lead and give us direction for our lives. There's this theological truths there that, that remain so strong. However, righteousness, according to the law, does not exist in the law anymore. It was never achievable. Romans 10 verse 4 says, Jesus Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for anyone who believes. That means if you believe in Jesus Christ with your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, the law is futile in your life to produce any righteousness because you've now been given not just the righteousness of the law, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus as a free gift. Tell me that is not a better covenant. That is mind-blowing. This is a covenant we get to receive, an unbreakable, everlasting covenant where God declares, if you will come into this, if you will receive this extended hand of forgiveness, you can be reconciled to me. And not only that, but I'll make you compatible with me by removing the condition of sin that you created. I will, I will heal you of that. This is huge. These are just some of the benefits of this new covenant. But Jesus is the end. Uh, he's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant. I want to show you why. Look at this incredible verse. Now, if you blink in your Bible reading, you'll probably miss this. 
verse 1 of Matthew 1. This is the opening verse of your New Testament. I know sometimes we can get stuck in genealogies and, and struggle to find meaning, but look at the opening verse in your New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, were David and Abraham the only two people in Jesus' lineage? Absolutely not. There were many, many, many people. Why would Matthew open his letter, written largely to Jews, to prove that Jesus is the Messiah with a statement like that? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise made to David, which is a kingdom promise, and the one made to Abraham, which is one of priesthood. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. That's why we're all sons of Abraham, because he was the father of faith, because he believed in the promise of God that through him all the nations would be blessed. Christ is the one who engages, who initiates, who brings into the realm of earth the Abrahamic covenant in its fullness. It's now called the new covenant. That's why circumcision was the mark of Abraham, not the mark of Moses, because it means removing the sinful nature, right? Circumcision of heart. The uh, fleshly circumcision was a shadow of the circumcision of regeneration in Christ. That didn't happen in the law of Moses. It happened in the Abrahamic promise because the law of Moses was never meant to set us free from the sinful nature. And then King David. How is it that God can put someone on the throne of David for all eternity? Well, because Jesus is descended from David and he is now our everlasting king, which means, yes, he sits on his own throne, but he also sits on a throne named, biblically, the throne of David. Why? Why would God, the Son, sit on a throne named after a man? Because he wants to rule and reign with his people. Because he wants to co-labor with us. The Davidic covenant is a kingdom covenant. That's why he says, Behold, the keys of the kingdom have been given to me, all authority on heaven and earth. You go, therefore. I give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. That's because of the Davidic covenant. We have a king now of a kingdom that belongs on this earth. And now that the new covenant has come, Isaiah prophesies that of the increase of that covenant, there will be no end. Of the increase of God's government and peace, there will be no end. That is some insight into the new covenant. That's huge news. Huge, huge news. Wow. You know what that means? about Jesus and, and the old covenant. It means that when you look at Jesus and, and you begin to see him relating to people different than how God appeared to relate to people in the Old Testament, you can actually acknowledge that both are very accurate. You know, some people make the, the really dangerous mistake of deciding that the Old Testament is not as inspired as the new or not as accurate. It's untrue. The Bible is as accurate as itself from cover to cover. However, God was being revealed throughout the pages of your Bible. He was revealing himself covenant by covenant. And he declares that when Jesus comes, that is the ultimate revelation of who God is. 
So Jesus just doesn't come and show the nice side of God. He comes and shows the new relationship that the fullness of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are going to have with anyone who will come into that place of redemption. He doesn't just come to bring a new covenant. He comes to demonstrate a new relationship. I want to point something out about this. You know, in, in, when you look at the Mosaic Covenant, when you look at the times before Jesus came, this is, a, this is a nearly closing thought. You can see this picture where the sins of Israel or the sins of people grew to a degree where the righteous and the holy judgment of God was, was required to, to, to retaliate, was required to engage judgment over these people, particularly over nations and, and um, like federal, federally represented sin. And sometimes then we come into a new covenant sphere and we, we can mistake, we can, we can be curious when things like COVID-19 happen or, or earthquakes or bushfires and we can be a little confused because we see similar events in the Old Testament happening through God's judgment. And that's what it was. We can't avoid that. However, when you see in the Old Testament, the, when the fullness of people's sin began to, to come to such a degree, God would judge and, and, and retribution would occur because he was bound to that sense of justice, particularly chronologically before the age of mercy, before the covenant of the cross, where he could actually change his approach. Now, the New Testament as a, as a type of that, as a fulfillment of this idea that when sin grows to a certain degree, I mean, Sodom's a great example of this. God comes and he will, he will express his holiness in those spheres and bring correction and judgment. At the very climax, I believe, of people's sin in your New Testament, the very, the very heart, the very full manifestation of people's sin, where you would usually now expect the full retaliation of God, is when surely it's when the people he came to save and demonstrate nothing but love for have turned against him, betrayed him, beat him, accused him, tormented him, dragged him up a hill after torturing him and they've nailed him to a cross and they are watching him die and they are ridiculing him. I can't think of a more sinful time when I read my New Testament, a, a, a time when, hey, according to the Old Testament, this is God's moment. This kind of sin is when he's going to retaliate because this is the nature of God. Instead of judgment coming upon people, instead we see this person named Jesus hanging on the cross with open arms, representing not just the Son of God, but representing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he declares, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. At the fullness of the moment of sin's manifestation, God changes the relationship to demonstrate Here's my new covenant. Here's how I can now behave with you. And I know what it's going to do in your heart. And I know how it's going to change the world. And I know how you'll turn away from sin when my goodness is so revealed through this. And instead of people being judged, the full weight of God's judgment under the old covenant, under the old way, was released upon Jesus instead of us. And we received nothing but 100% forgiveness, mercy, and freedom. 
That's the very heart of the new covenant. God crying out mercy, mercy, mercy. That's why a human body is healed, because of mercy. That's why our souls are set free. It's because of God's mercy and his goodness. Do you know in the new covenant, Jesus is the truth about God. Jesus reveals the new relationship that we now have as we enter into this realm of his forgiveness. I pray that's an encouragement to you tonight, that the new covenant has come. The relationship of the Mosaic covenant has ended. And Jesus has fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant fully, and he embodies them, and we can now receive the benefits of all of them. Do you know in the new covenant, Jesus is the explicit, express revelation of who God is. So there's a rule that I, I live by, and I, I'd encourage you to, to weigh this in your heart too. That rule is, if it doesn't look like the Son, don't call it the Father. That's a rule I live by. If it doesn't look like the Son, I don't call it the Father. So in the New Testament, I don't see Jesus using natural disasters to teach nations lessons. Why? Because he's representing the new relationship, the one that God always wanted. And it says in John 9, when, when James and John wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village because they're still thinking mosaic, they're still thinking law, they're still thinking the curse of the law, they're still thinking the judgment of the old. Jesus reshapes the relationship and he says, you're of the wrong spirit. I did not come to destroy life, but to save it. And he reveals the heart of God in the everlasting covenant called the new covenant. In the new covenant, the New Testament, you don't see Jesus creating a single natural disaster. Rather, you see him silencing a storm to protect the people in the boat. Now remember, if God the Father is the one creating that storm and God the Son's the one silencing it, We've got a big issue with God. I don't believe God's doing that. I don't believe God's fickle or double-minded. Jesus reveals the Father. Colossians 1.15 says that He is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 verses 1 to 3, one of my favorite passages in my Bible, says, Long ago at many times and in various ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Right? Speaking of your Old Testament. Then it says, but in these last days, he has spoken through his son. The whole book of Hebrews just says, God, Jesus is the better person. Jesus trumps Melchizedek. Jesus trumps Moses. Jesus trumps the priesthood. Jesus trumps the old covenant. Jesus trumps the sacrificial system. The book of Hebrews is the big round robin where Jesus is the transcendent king of all and the new covenant is the better covenant that he came to bring. And then Hebrews goes on to say, in Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, that Jesus Christ is the expressed image of the, of the Father, of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So you want to know who the Father is and how he relates to man in this new covenant? Look at Jesus. He didn't come to bring just a new covenant. He came to demonstrate a new relationship, the one that was always on his heart for us. So if it doesn't look like the Son, Let's not call it the Father. Awesome. The reason I believe this is so important is because I know for me, when I can fix my heart on just how good God is in that realm of the new covenant, 
It's when I have this, this otherworldly confidence that when I see someone who's sick or when I see someone who needs freedom and I can meditate on my heart and just what the cross purchased and what we have access to as kings and priests in the inheritance of Christ, when that wells up within me, the most effortless miracles I've ever seen, I'd say all of the ones I showed you earlier, come as an overflow of this anchor of just how good he is just what Jesus paid for. It even transcends the theology of divine healing in an experiential way where I'm not just sifting through my theology. There's this realm of his goodness and it's manifesting and you can, it just, it overflows and bodies get healed and souls get set free. It's when we create a confusion between these covenants that we become, we lack confidence in God and we lose faith. Our faith needs to be anchored into the goodness of God revealed in Christ in the new covenant. That's how we begin to see a, a, a spilling over of miracles like never before. I still believe that the Bible teaches we can see 100% of things we pray for come to pass according to his will. I don't want to let my experience of not seeing certain things change my faith, change what I want to build in the spirit of a revelation of just who he is and what he wants to do to demonstrate his love. We have so much to, um, to grow toward, and I feel excited to do it. And it's this stirring of this new covenant goodness that so helps when we meditate on it. Praise the Lord. Awesome. Well, what I want to do, I pray that's been a blessing. I uh, hope you took some photos of those slides. But we're going we're gonna to transition now because we want to pray for some people. We want to release some words of knowledge, some prophetic words. I'm going to tune back into, um, into live stream now so I can comment, we can interact. And I'll invite Megs actually in a moment. She's going to come and join with us in that. I want to close with a verse for you from Hebrews 8, verse 13. It says this, right after declaring... Um, that new covenant. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. This is one of the clearest verses in your Bible that the old covenant, when it comes to how we relate to God, is obsolete. It's of no effect. It's futile. In speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. You know, the old covenant diminished. Its glory faded. That's why Moses had to cover his face because the glory continually faded. You can read about that in 2 Corinthians 3, but the, the glory of the new covenant is an ever-increasing glory because it's an ever-increasing kingdom. So I pray that we would transition fully, that we would be a new covenant postured people People who know God is good because Jesus revealed him. If I don't see it in Jesus, I don't see it in the Father. Jesus has become my framework for just how good God is, just how dependable the relationship I can have is now. Praise the Lord. Awesome. We're going to transition. I'm going to invite Megs to make her way up, and we're going to grab another stool here. Just while she comes, I, I want to share just for a moment just, and just give an opportunity tonight. Um, you know, we're doing online church at the moment, as everybody knows. And, but we don't want to miss an opportunity for, for anyone who's watching tonight. We, we've ha we have had people watching who don't yet know Jesus. And um, 
yeah, and have actually made decisions for him in their hearts. And so we, we don't want to miss an opportunity. If you've watched tonight, if you've felt that stirring in your heart of, oh my gosh, this is the God I've been looking for. This is the one my heart's yearning for. This is the one and all the confusion around that I've been reaching out uh, for stability in. It's this person named Jesus. I promise you, he is that stability you're looking for. There is no, there's nothing that can't be shaken but Christ and what he brings into our lives. So we're, we're standing on this unshakable foundation. And, and if that's you tonight and you, you believe that you need Jesus, you have a re revelation, I need this Savior. I need him to come into my life. I need him to set me free. I need him to be my Lord and Savior. And you would confess to him, Lord, I am a sinner. I need, I need freedom from this, this heart. I want to come into your kingdom. I want to come into newness of life. I want to be set free from this. Now's the time to make that decision. And what you can do right now, you can actually message Glory City Church Facebook. You can say that that's you uh, and that you prayed this prayer with us tonight. You can message and we'll respond to you. We'll, um, we'll reach out to you and we'd love to connect with you over that. So please do, you can message on there. But I'm going to pray this prayer and if that's you tonight, I want you to pray along with me. Lord Jesus, I come before you as a sinner, knowing that only you can set me free and make me whole. Lord, I acknowledge my need for you tonight. I want that new life that you bring. Would you bring your freedom into my life? Would you bring your lordship into my life? And tonight I confess that you are my savior. And that I give my life to you to be born again. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I just celebrate you if you made that decision tonight. It is the most eternally significant decision you'll ever make. So if that's you, please message us now. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to partner with us in spreading the gospel to the nations, you can do so via our website, www.glorycitychurch.com.au. We would love to hear from you. If you have a prayer need, please send us an email at info at glorycitychurch.com.au. We would also love to hear your testimonies. You can email these praise reports to info at glorycitychurch.com.au. God bless.